from the Underripe Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another gourd-guessing episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. Lufa gourds are fun to grow, and if you do it correctly, each ripe gourd will produce a natural bath sponge. Ah, but what if you don't do it correctly? I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll reveal what I did when my gourds were still green in October. Plus, a holiday gift book any gardener can use, and your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and eloquently evocative elucidations. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than homegrown sponges you can be proud of right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, soon, very soon to be the Christmas city. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will interview the author of a brand new book uh, that essentially uh, is probably one of the best gift books for gardeners I've ever seen. And we'll explain why that is. And we have a question of the week about my final harvest of loofah gourds. So we better hop, hop right to your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Amy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm just ducky, Amy. I'm also freezing cold. Um, How are you doing? I am doing great. And where is Amy doing great? Indianapolis. Okay, very good. Uh, What can we do for Amy in Indiana? Okay, I just planted four new conifers, um, two different varieties of false cypress, a weeping white spruce, and a green star. And I've had trouble with conifers in the past, and I'm not sure that they're planted, like they really like being in Indianapolis. So I just want to know what I can do for them in the spring, if I need to acidify the soil. Or if there's anything in particular I can do not to kill these? Um, you sent us an email. And yep. um, we had a problem this morning. We got bollocksed with uh, the pictures that came with the emails. And we don't seem to be able to find yours. Did you have two tiny little balls, um, one kind of anonymous conifer and then one, and then one that was out of camera range? Yeah, there's like a curly top, which is kind of a blue one and small, and then the Verdoni Hinoki Cypress, uh, Japanese Umbrella Pine, and the Weeping White Spruce that I hadn't planted yet. So it was... Okay. Now, um, I think if I remember your email correctly, and I don't have it in front of me, you also uh, used a heavy-duty soil acidifier in the planting hole? Uh, no, not in the planting hole, and I didn't use a lot of it. I just sprinkled it around. It was um, sprinkled it around the top and just kind of forked it in a little bit. It was um, the Espoma soil acidifier. Okay, um, I think you mentioned sulfur in your email. 
It has sulfur in it. I read the. Okay. Now, one thing I want to point out to everybody is you can't feed or amend the soil of a dormant plant. So anything you try to do to feed a plant uh, could do great damage at this time of year in case you go into a warm spell and get it growing again. Um, And the time to uh, rectify your soil, so to speak, would be in the early spring, just as you expect new growth to appear. So, uh, and I also, um, I think I'm going to yell at you. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but you seem to have dyed black mulch in the area. Well, it's not dyed, but I, I haven't um, grounded my leaves yet. So I just put that there until I can put the chopped up leaves on it. But wasn't it but black? I didn't have anything. What? Wasn't it black? No, it's brown. Okay. It's the, un- it's the natural. It's not dyed. Okay. Did it come in a bag? It did come in a bag. Oh, okay. The, really, the only safe mulch to use around plants and homes is arborist wood mulch, which you get for free from the tree trimming companies in your area. Um, now, uh, where'd you get the plants? Who'd you get them from? I got them from a local nursery around here. It's privately owned. And okay. it was the guy there that told me to put the soil acidifier around it. It was warm a week or two ago. Well, no. Uh, see, they're just selling you something else. They're just upselling you. Um, okay. You tend to get a lot of rain in your area, so I would predict that your soil is already acidic. Um, did you do anything? No, it's really, I've tested it. It's really alkaline. Really? What level? Yeah. It's clay. No, no, no. What number alkaline? Oh, goodness. I been a long time. Okay. But I know it's like the grass does great here, but the azaleas not so much. Um, okay. That's kind of confusing. Uh, but if the azaleas are struggling, um, then I would say the acidifier would be okay. But wait till the spring. Uh, don't do anything to change the life of dormant plants. Now, uh, do you have, uh, and so because they're from a local nursery, we're going to assume that they're all hardy in your area. Yes, they're all, they're all, I think, zone five. Okay. And, and that's um, about what we are. Yeah, and that's about what you are. In general, conifers um, of all kinds uh, are pretty frost hardy. So that's a good choice. Now, um, Do you have a plan for arranging them? Because they looked kind of just planted to me. Yeah, no, they were just planted, yeah. So they're they're arranged. I was going to put some, like, ground cover around them, like geraniums and different ground covers I have. Okay, be careful that the ground cover is not aggressive. And Mm -hmm. I would wait till the conifers, because those little balls seem pretty tiny to me. I would wait till they get some height to them. Um, because otherwise, while they're struggling, you know, the first year that you have something in the ground, you really need to um, give it time to get settled. It really takes a full year for a newly installed tree or shrub uh, to get settled in the environment. So I wouldn't go crazy with um, 
with doing anything with other plants around them because they're going to compete for water, nutrients, root space. A lot of ground covers are aggressive, and these are little babies who can't defend themselves. Um, What I'm going to suggest is you take a good look out there and make sure they're in the positions that you want them to be because Mm -hmm. when spring comes, that's your ideal time to reposition them. It's very easy to take these baby plants out of the ground and move them. And before you do that, over the winter, research the final heights of the plants. And it may seem a little sparse early on, but you don't want them to be crowded. So I think you may need to put a little more room between the plants. And what are your plans for the unplanted one? Oh, he's, I planted him already. Oh, okay. He's a little further away. Okay. He's taller. He's like six feet tall. Okay, good. I used to be six foot tall. <laughs> and then nature robbed me. Anyway, I would definitely shred up some leaves and spread mm-hmm. those around so that the ground doesn't heave over the winter. And, you know, uh, I think you have a, a good state soil test lab there. Uh, that is inexpensive. So ask your county extension agent um, to send you a soil test kit, and then you'll know what your pH is. No offense, but if you go back to the garden center, they're going to sell you a soil test kit. So the issue with getting it done at the state level is they'll give you good recommendations for any pH adjustment. Unfortunately, you're going to have to ignore any fertilizer recommendations, you know, because they still seem to be devoted to the industry or can't break away from that connection. But they'll give you very reliable advice uh, about pH. And if you're what about hollytone? Well, hollytone is a good soil acidifier if you need it. But, for instance, if your soil is already acidic, it could make it too acidic. So, you know, I'm not crazy about soil tests. I don't advocate them all the time. Uh, But for pH and new plantings, I think it's a good idea for you to see where your soil is now. And a lot of us are cursed with clay soil. I mean, that's, that's just the reality of where we live. Okay, well, that all makes sense, and I'll definitely get that soil test done. Yeah, because if you get it done now, you'll get the results back almost instantly because they're not busy. Okay. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much. All right. Good luck, Amy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will return to the friendly confines of Hartford to appear at the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Hartford Convention Center on February 22nd to the 25th. I'll do an enlightening rapid-fire Q&A on Friday afternoon the 23rd, and then two shows on Saturday the 24th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to discuss a book any gardener would be thrilled to receive and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm fabulous Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up very soon, we will interview the author of a book called The Garden Journal, and you will find out why I believe this is one of the best possible books you can give any gardener this holiday season. We're also going to do a question of the week where I reveal my triumphs and otherwise with growing loofah gourds this season. All right, as promised, it is time for a very special interview and very appropriate for the season. This time of year, uh, with the holidays approaching, we try to mention uh, gifts for gardeners, um, especially if you don't have any yet. And I've been uh, moving into recommending books most of the time lately. And I just a couple, three weeks ago received a new book called The Garden Journal by Linda Vater. And it is a five-year record you can keep of your own home garden and essentially stop guessing about where things used to be. Um, I really, and there's Linda laughing, so I'm going to bring her on right away. Linda, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, well, thank you, Mike. I'm so honored that you've selected my journal, and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, and I note that you are in Oklahoma City. Ah, yes. Yes, gar- gar- gardening heaven. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it it just so happens that that is one of my favorite towns. We have a, a tremendous response. We're on the air there in Oklahoma City and Norman, and ah, oh, the listeners there are just out of control. And every once in a while, I realize it's because it's impossible to garden there, so they need they need advice. Oh, they need a lot of advice, and I, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Gardening in Oklahoma ain't for sissies, and if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. I, I have to agree, um, but boy, when the weather is nice, it's a beautiful place, and I'd say as long as it's not windy, but that's just cruel because it's always windy, right? <laughs> Well, you know what? Today is absolutely beautiful. We've got a high of 62 and a respite from the wind. So, all right, this interview's over. This interview's over. (laughs) I'm wearing gloves in the studio. It's their temperature is like 31 outside with high winds, you know. I, I, well, I, well, come visit me on a day when it's 115 in the summer. Yeah, I haven't done that. But one of my fondest memories um, is I was appearing at the convention center in Oklahoma. Yes. And there was a guy there who had a a store in town, a natural gardening product store. And he wanted to take me out to lunch. So we walked out the doors 
and I was like eight steps ahead of him, and I had no idea. And he actually had to grab my jacket and pull me back down out of the air. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, I think you just have to learn to ride the wave and take the good with the bad. And, and you know, you got to, when you're gardening, you know this, you got to love the one you're with. Yeah. And if you have other if you have no other choice and you you are like you and me and you absolutely have to garden, then you just figure out a way to do it. I every plant I put in the ground say that's all you're going to get from me, whether you live or die. That's that's up to you. <laughs> well, all we can do is the best we can do, and I think that this garden journal is really helpful in that regard. Because, you know, especially for new gardeners, there is just so much we have to learn and assimilate, so much that's very specific to where we garden. And I don't know about you, but if I don't write things down, I don't remember them. Well, and I, I, would, I would challenge you in the fact that I think this is equally useful or even more useful to middle-aged and older gardeners <laughs> because I can't remember where I put my car keys, much less where I planted my tomatoes last year. Well, then make sure you remember where you put down your garden journal because because you can't record in it if you can't find it. Well, um, you know, I, I'm with you on that. It's funny you say that because I have a copy right here. I, I, I want to tell people just a little bit. First of all, it's a very sturdy book. It, it is hard, hard covers. And now that you just said that, I noticed that it's white. So, yes. you know, thank God it's not brown or then it would become compost in one of my raised beds. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, Mike, is, is there are two different colors. One's in white and one is in kind of a, what I like to think of as kind of an elegant gray. And I encourage people to not consider it as a precious item. You know, get out there, get some of that Oklahoma clay on it, <laughs> give it some patina, give it, show it some love, and and then you know, pass it on down as almost an heirloom. To you know, I've gardened for years, and I and it's really a legacy, my gardening, my love of gardening that I want to pass on down to my children and my my grandchildren, my daughters-in-law. And I think this is a lovely way to do it because it's not only a chronicle of your garden, but it's a chronicle of your history, the history of your garden through time. And I think that makes it not only practical, but kind of poetic. Yeah, it would be a sin if a copy of this was still nice and clean after two or three years. So let's tell people exactly what we have here. Um, it's 268 pages the bulk of which is devoted to you recording um, the weather, surprise frosts, exactly what you planted this year, how they did when this insect showed up, um, anything unusual about the weather. And again, for me, um, and it's all fill in the blank, essentially, um, except, right. except for the fact that you have a lot of gardening tips boxed out along the way for the seasons. 
Um, but mostly this is a workbook um, where people yeah, are yeah. going to, um, well, for me, finally remember where the green beans were planted the previous year. <laughs> um, but also for a lot of people, uh, this will be a real treasure. You know, you can go back when, for instance, yeah. um, some of us are getting to the age where we have to look at seriously uh, backing off on vegetable gardening and stuff like that. And then this would become right. priceless because you can dance back through time. Oh, you know, absolutely. You know, gone are the days. I'm an empty nester now. And gone are the days when I needed um, a large harvest to feed my family. Now my needs are smaller, but they're nevertheless very important to me. And I can chronicle that passage of time. But I can also very practically note and observe, okay, this year is when I planted those beans that you alluded to, but when did I plant them in the past? Was it a week earlier? Was it a week later? How was I more successful? And, you know, increasingly as temperatures get warmer, I think that kind of information is really, really valuable. Hey, I just thought because you're in Oklahoma City, there's one entry you forgot and uh, you need a wind gauge for that, you know. <laughs> a wind gauge. Yeah, or yes. you could just have well, check well, marks, 35 miles an hour, 45 <laughs> miles an hour. You know, isn't it the truth? But, but you know, we, we really only have two seasons in Oklahoma. I don't know if you know this or not, but we really only have two seasons. There's before the heat and there's after the heat. Right. And, and, and everything else is just kind of squishy. <laughs> in between and and recording exactly when that heat arrives and more blessedly when it departs i think is you know are, are two of the more popular entries in the journal for us for I, us okies i realize now that i have always been blessed because i've visited oklahoma city as much as any other uh place where we have affiliate stations and it's always been in the spring of course that's when all the master yes, gardener yes. events and home shows and things mm -hmm. are. So I, I have been spared uh, the sunburn <laughs> arm from, you know, being out the car window for half an hour. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you have to have a frontier spirit. You, you just really do. But, it's, you know, anymore, it's not just here. We all now are subject to these extreme fluctuations and vagaries so you of got weather. that right. And we... Yeah, and we just, we never know what Mother Nature is going to throw at us. And I think that recording things helps us, I don't know, it kind of helps us realize like how screwed we are by climate change, <laughs> you know. But no, you know, I wasn't, I like... wasn't imagining it. It really was 95 <laughs> last Christmas, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it also kind of makes me feel, um, Oh, I don't know. Kind of like I'm a pioneer. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me feel akin to the pioneers that came out here and and settled the land and and the hardships and things like that. And 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 helps me kind of put it put it in perspective. But as importantly, remember, you know, in contrast, then glorify and record the successes we have. You know, remember, oh, my gosh, that year when the foxgloves were towering and, you know, we just we couldn't eat enough. Uh, we couldn't eat enough okra. 
so I, I think it makes us, by contrast, also appreciate the really good years and the good times as well. And um, I want to re-mention uh, that the book is The Garden Journal by Linda Vater, and it contains enough um, workbook-type areas that you can chart five full years in your garden, after which you'll need a new one, and if you enjoy doing that, you'll probably get <laughs> another one. I, I have to point out that early on in the book, in your introductory stuff, you're talking about, you know, you no longer have to trust your memory. And I took a big magic marker and wrote, ha, what memory? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but my memory flew the coop yeah. a while ago. And, um, and you know, we just all need to, to jog our memories about, about the good, the bad the mundane and i think it's it it it's very romantic mike i think it's very romantic well to it's romantic kind of when you fill it in for me it would be kind of <laughs> r-rated you know with a few expletives yeah exactly you know people talk to their plants i curse at mine isn't it the same thing one of well the... it just it Go ahead. It just depends on how they're communicating with you. You know, to me, gardening is, is a is a commitment. And sometimes I feel like I'm in it for the long haul, and sometimes it's just a fling, depending on the weather. But, I, you know, whether you are having a good day or a bad day in, in the garden probably manifests it somehow in how you talk to your garden and, and talk to your plants, I guess. I talk to my garden the way I would talk to disobedient children because that's how I view my plants. <laughs> and and, and how, how's that working out for you? <laughs> uh, didn't work with the kids. It's not working with the plants. <laughs> now, one of the things you point out in your introductory uh, wordings is something I never considered, but it really struck home. What if somebody else had to suddenly take over your garden, whether it would mm -hmm. be for a year while you're recovering from surgery or something or long-term? I mean, this would be a million bucks. Yeah. We have been talking to Linda Vater, V-A-T-E-R, author of the brand-new The Garden Journal, a five-year record of your home garden. We're just stewards of our gardens for just for just a period of time, and eventually, someone or or whatever will will take it over. But I think that what I feel very strongly about the, this journal is that it, we should not only try to be good stewards of our garden, but we should also try to be good stewards of the garden history because the garden's history because you know don't we want to know and remember when we you know when we planted that october glory maple you know what year and and how old were the kids when we did that and um and i think it it honors the garden it honors the practice and the art of gardening itself um yeah, I'm lucky if I can remember I planted a maple. Uh, you know. <laughs> That's why we record it. Um, you um, have a section for structures. You know, record the different structures in and around your garden. And one thing I would add to that, had I done this, but they didn't ask me, 
um, is raised <laughs> beds, the sizes, the positions, oh, yeah. and then what was in them. Because that's all of my vegetable gardening is done in raised beds, except the raspberries and stuff like that that can't be contained. And that would be incredibly useful. It occurs to me that this is uh, an, not an ancient tradition, uh, but a very early American tradition, uh, mm-hmm. what we call mm-hmm. the founding gardeners. Washington, yes. Jefferson, and Adams kept meticulous records yes. that are still around oh, yes. for us to read today. Yeah, and, and don't we appreciate that? Don't we appreciate that they, they took the time to do those things? And it, I love this kind of connection to these, to these gardeners that, that I then have. So then if I, if I, which I have done, go to Monticello and I buy some seeds that date back to Thomas Jefferson's time and I plant those seeds in my own garden, I feel like I'm part of that historical gardening continuum. And I, I think that makes it so special. And it makes me, um, and it also, it, it makes me know that they struggled too. You know, they recorded their failures just like they recorded their successes, as do we. And it's just all part of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, anybody who gets into this game expecting perfection, I tell them to go inside, set up a workshop, and learn woodworking. Because that's the only way yeah. you can make something happen over and over again. Um, one thing I'd love to remind my listeners of, although they hate to hear it, and you probably know this, if you are a professional grower, if you harvest 55% of what you planted, you're in the red, uh, you're in the black, you've made a profit. Um, and that's mind blowing to people, but you know, a lot of years, you know, the summer without a summer, the summer where it Mm -hmm. never rained Mm -hmm. or always rained. That's where you get the expression, lose the farm. You could lose the farm. Right. Because there there isn't enough coming in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And yet we're all hopeful. And, uh, you know, I've often, I, I have put together also something that I call my gardening manifesto. And the very, the very top entry in my garden manifesto is that to garden is to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> so Job was and a gardener, I, huh? Oh, absolutely. And when you garden in the land of Job, like I do, uh, that's that's very meaningful. But but the but the second entry is there are certain gardening risks worth taking, and a ninety nine cent package of seeds is a gardening risk worth taking. Whether any of them germinate or not, there is pleasure and there is importance and there is meaning in the optimistic act of just planting those seeds. Well, and And not only that, but if you have a lousy year, which, again, I have to warn people, it's going to happen, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is not for the timid. And if you have a lousy year... Um, wouldn't it be nice to look back at year number three in your garden journal and remind mm-hmm. yourself of of better times in the past and be thankful you're not a farmer? <laughs> yeah, be, no, 
that is so so true. You know, most of it, most of us do it because we love to do it. I I don't know about you, but I'm a, I love garden design. I do it for my own vanity. I do it for my own quality of life and to beautify my neighborhood. But for those that that really rely on the garden as a source of income, my those They're are brave those people. Are the true, yes, those are the true stalwart heroes. And um, and it and I think it also helps us be much more sensitive and and much more cognizant of what it takes to grow our own food and um, realistic. And, and realistic. Yes, I've had yes. a couple of, I live in a very rural area, and I've had a couple of situations where local farmers who were friends of mine were incapacitated, like during the harvest or something. And oh gosh, I would yeah. I would go over and help. And knowing that I had to actually dress correctly, um, no sneakers. I needed work boots. Right. I needed long sleeve shirts in the summertime. Um, you had to pay attention a lot more. And at the end of the day, when you got home, you would thank God that you were a gardener and not a farmer. Well, but also you come home with, as, as he as that farmer went to bed that night, with such gratitude for gardening as a community. You know, truly, gardening is a, is a form of community, and it's a community that supports one another and that, um, you know, we have, as you can well understand, we have, you know, every other year we have a 100-year weather event. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whether it's an ice storm or a hailstorm. And just the support system that I rely on that my fellow gardeners can commiserate with me and say, oh, I'm so, so, so sorry about that tree that was felled. Or, you know, your your garden you worked on all year was completely destroyed in one hailstorm. And you rely on that, on that, the community of that. Absolutely. What a, what a great thing that is. I just recently, after gardening in the same place for 30 years, I moved to start a new garden someplace else. And it has, my, it's in a historic older neighborhood, and it has helped me meet my neighbors. Oh, it has, yeah. It has helped. Yes. It, it, it's, um, it's both a, a gift to myself, but it's also a gift to my community. I haven't talked about this in a while, but when I would do public speaking and people would ask me, how do I get started? Where do I learn gardening? And mm-hmm. I would say two ways. Join a community garden before you start your own garden, and then you'll learn Mm -hmm. from everybody else's mistakes. You'll learn from dozens (laughs) of mistakes. Or even better, walk around the neighborhood. If you see somebody out working a garden, introduce yourself. Ask if you can help, and they'll teach you everything you need, and the learning will be local. Yes. And then you run home and you record whatever that specific variety of tulip was and you immediately record it in your garden journal because that's important, invaluable information. Ordering tulips because you saw them and remembered them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, because it was... we have to, we have to chase you off soon um, because this could go on forever. But something struck me about five minutes ago when you were talking. Um, 
it occurs to me now that in the winter or whatever off season you have, which is summer in Phoenix, um, mm-hmm. if you get other people in your community to keep uh, journals, you could share those over the winter and learn oh, yeah. from other people, yeah. you know, okay, here's mine. You can have it for a week. Give me yours, you know. Oh, what a marvelous idea. Every once in a while. Yeah. It's like a broken watch is right twice a day. You know, every once in a while something mm-hmm. comes into my head that's not foolish. <laughs> <laughs> but then, Mike, the downside of that is if you loan out your garden journal, they're going to see those expletives. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you talked about designing a garden. My design is extremely abstract. It would uh, it would not fit in a frame. All right. We have been talking to Linda Vater, V-A-T-E-R, author of the brand new The Garden Journal, a five year record of your home garden. It is a uh, it is a. What what am I going to call it? Not not a huge book. It's a comprehensive book. It's uh, it's got heft to it. Um, yeah. Yes. It's going to last. Oh, and it has one of my favorite things. It's got a ribbon in it, so you can keep the page oh, yeah. that you're on. Um, it yeah. is to me. It's remarkably low priced. It's thirty dollars in the U.S. Um, and again, it's a formidable book. I mean, this is going to last. A whole uh, a long time, and it's available from. I can't figure out if it's still Cool Springs Press or Quattro, um, but it's one or both of them. Yeah, 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 and it's and it's pretty. You know, it's readily available. Whatever your favorite online retailer is, or you know, better yet, go support your local bookstore. You know, go in and and ask them if they've got a copy, and if they don't, they can order one for you. But um, but I I you know. I personally think it would make a brilliant Christmas gift. Well, you know, uh, you know, because we, my, your agent and I have been in constant touch. We really rushed to get you on the show so that there would be plenty of time before the holidays, before Christmas, before Hanukkah, before Kwanzaa, uh, you know, for right. people to get a hold of this book and give it in person. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just such a personal gift, and it's and and it's also I think very personal as to how you choose to use it when you want to start it, um, and and I think we would be remiss if we didn't also remind gardeners take photos, take lots of photos that that records the beauty of your garden on its best days and stick those in there. Linda, and... I'm always remiss. I mean, that should be my middle name. <laughs> All right. Linda <laughs> Vodder, The Garden Journal, highly recommended. A book for you to keep a five-year history of your garden. Linda, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. It's been a joy. Thank you so much, Mike. You are welcome, and thank you. Take care now. You too. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind all of you that I will return to the friendly confines of Hartford to appear at the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Hartford Convention Center in February. I'll do an enlightening Q&A on Friday afternoon, the 23rd, 
And then two shows on tomatoes and the essential elements of composting on Saturday the 24th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with my tale of Lufagord woe and more of your woeful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, I talked back in October about how I was growing loofah gourds, which are a very long season crop, but if you do it right, you get a bath sponge for every gourd. Did I do it right? You're going to find out in a couple of minutes after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Jean-Paul, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being had, John. How are you? I'm pretty good. And where are you? I'm in North Wilmington, Delaware. (laughs) What can we do you for? Well, uh, I recently um, upgraded my yard quite a bit uh, via a move. And I went from a small little postage stamp, and I'm the lucky property manager, owner of about a, an acre of wooded forest that's all cleared. Mm. And um, my daughter and I, we counted the trees in our backyard and came up with about 117, mm. which is super awesome. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about 50 of those are sweet gum trees, and they drop so many gumballs. It's overwhelming. And uh, I was only, wondering uh, no. what I should do about all these. When I was growing up at Bridge and Tarsdale in Philadelphia, um, we called them itchy balls for no good reason. And, of course, they were the ultimate projectile. You didn't have to go buy stuff. You just took a basket out, and there was this enormous tree near Marguerite's house. Oh, must have dropped thousands of them. So um, what's the matter? You don't like walking on them? It's like... Acupressure, right? You're, you're relieving <laughs> yeah. all those nasty symptoms in your feet. Surprise acupuncture. Yeah. You know, there's got to be the people who make things like super squirters or paintball guns. They have to have an itchy ball thrower. You know, you load up a hundred of those and boom, 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 boom. Maybe I've been watching. Maybe <laughs> I've, I've got a nine-year-old son, and, and I'm kind of wondering if this is a good idea or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll put his eye out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been watching too much TV news. So um, what have you been doing with them so far? Uh, so far, I'm just blowing them um, off of the, like, the lawn area and mm-hmm. just back into the wooded area, which has uh, all the leaves from last fall. 
Okay. And everything's getting kind of mixed together. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, because if, if it was not going to be subject to degradation, your property would probably be 500 feet deep in itchy balls. So, oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and you are returning some of the most valuable part of the plant to the soil. You're turning um, the seeds and the husk and everything back in. But boy, just as I said that, there's got to be um, something out there, some machine that crushes them up or, again, shoots them at your enemy from a high wall. Um, <laughs> Something like that. But um, what I have recommended for people who have too many of these things is to get a, a garden vacuum. This is not like, um, you know, a leaf blower or leaf sucker or anything like that. It, it kind of is, but instead of um, a cone on the end, it has a long snake like they use in drainage. For and, sure, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and it's got a it's got a cute little handle, so you can push it back into your shrubbery, um, and then dump it out someplace. But I, well, I I think that's the thing. I thought I would have a whole mountain of thing of these things if I got one of those. Well, you know, why don't we, meaning you, do that and check it in a year or two? Um, it is nature's duty to decompose wood into soil once again. And if you made just a pile of itchy balls, you could keep it well watered over the summer and accelerate it. It would make great compost. Or you could put up one of those roadside signs, world's largest itchy ball pile. Come <laughs> see it. Refreshments for the kids. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, free itchy balls to take home. And then you show well, sure, one itchy ball great. that appears to be the size of an asteroid, you know. <laughs> so that's all well, I got. That sounds great. I think we could oh, probably oh, uh, no, actually, um, another trick that was taught to me is spreading them around uh, slug-prone plants either in the top of pots or down at the bottom of the pots or in the garden bed, uh, make a ring of them around your garden bed. Um, slugs obviously can't cross over them because they'll get pierced. Well, all right. All right. That sounds like something we could do leading into gardening season. Yeah, fun. And uh, don't forget to have an itchy ball fight with your eight-year-old and mom, mom, he's going to wear glasses. He's going to wear protective oh, glasses. Have the goggles. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then you well, need. Well, thank an, you, sir. Yeah, you need an ump to count the hits. All right. You take care, man. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. As promised, time for the question of the week, which is an unusual follow up to a previous question of the week. It's very exciting. And we're calling it What I Have Now Learned About Lufa Gourds. Back in October, we answered a question from Steve in Lancaster, PA, who wrote, I have a friend who's going to try and grow a loofah plant and harvest the gourds for shower use. Is this a thing? Anything specific we should know? In response, I told Steve that I was growing loofahs myself this year. 
adding that, yes, you can harvest an all-natural bath sponge from each gourd if you do it right. The big issue I already knew was timing. Loofahs take a long time to fully mature. My seed packet specified a maturity rate of 110 days, which is a long time, especially if it means 110 days after you move six-week-old transplants into warm soil, not 110 days from seed. Note about DTMs, days to maturity. For crops that are typically started indoors and then transplanted outside when they are six to eight weeks old, like peppers and tomatoes, the DTM clock doesn't start ticking until the transplant goes in the ground. My loofahs were also started from seed, so that means six extra weeks to get to those 110 days, which adds up to 150 or so days before you can harvest a gourd that has a chance of becoming a sponge. For long-season crops like loofahs, you really have to be realistic about how many growing days you can actually provide. The National Gardening Association says the growing season in Lancaster, which is about 50 miles west of my garden, begins on April 15th and runs through October 21st, for a really non-realistic total of 190 days? I wish. This year, late frost delayed planting tender crops like tomatoes, peppers, and yes, loofahs until early June in our area. And the hours of daylight get markedly shorter beginning around June 22nd. In mid-Atlantic gardens, survival is your best hope in October, as the plants were pretty much done actual growing around mid-September. This task, of course, is a lot easier for gardeners in USDA Zone 7 and warmer. But trying this in a lower zone requires a lot of strategizing. Preface over. Here's what happened to my loofahs this year. I started the loofah seeds along with my peppers and tomatoes in mid-March. All went well for a couple of weeks. Then I, quote, noticed that the vines had grown rapidly and were close to strangling my tiny little pepper seedlings with their tendrils of death. Heck, they were strangling everything with their Godzilla-like growth. It took a full day to untangle this horticultural nightmare. Then I moved the two strongest pots of loofahs into their own corner where their tendrils could only chase the cat. That's object number one. Don't start overly aggressive vines near other plants or delicate objects. I encourage our Lancaster gardener to utilize a trick I thought of way too late. Start them in large pots in which you have inserted tomato cages, giving them something to do instead of murdering other plants. When it finally came time to move them outside, I didn't want a chance planting them in the garden where their homicidal tendencies could roam free. Instead, I planted them, pots and all, in a raised bed on legs on my patio, where their roots quickly burst open the pots and the voracious vines climbed up a two-story wall and onto the roof. It seemed to take forever to get female flowers, but eventually three gourds appeared in August. One was long and skinny, like a green zeppelin, Another had a pear shape, 
and the third was bulbously full top to bottom. As September marched on, I was worried that they were still green. To harvest usable sponges, you're supposed to let them stay on the vine until the outer shell turns brown and you can hear seeds rattling inside. That's when I realized that most of the websites I had been using for advice were based in Southern California, where they estimated a highly desirable DTM of 200 days. Yeah, like it's only 10 days warmer than in Lancaster. Blind panic. Nights were already dipping into the low 50s, and we had already moved the pepper plants inside to hopefully overwinter and strip the tomato plants of their fruits. It was a very good year for tomatoes, by the way. But what to do with these loofahs? No sources had any advice on harvesting green ones, but they all said to bring them in before frost, which I failed to do. Oh no, my first garden failure. Pumpkins and some other squash will continue to ripen indoors under the right conditions, which I had already avoided by letting them get frosted. So we laid them out to dry in the kitchen, and lit a pumpkin spice candle, very easy to find at that time of year, for good luck. Eventually, little spots of mold began to appear, which everybody agreed was a major no-no, so we bit the bullet and peeled them. Miraculously, all three produced usable sponges. We rinsed them several times and then set them on top of a multi-layer dehydrator to hasten the drying. After a few days, they were done, and shaking them produced ripe seeds. Success! (laughs) Who'd have thunk it? Not me. Photos of my three sponges have appeared on the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page and will magically reappear this weekend. And no, I do not plan on growing loofahs ever again. Well, that sure was an interesting look at one man's loofahs now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read this adventure over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to spirit away my sponges if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. Consider it a Christmas present to me. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, audio and video of previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is an hour-long public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he found a ring that he hoped would give him superpowers, but instead it just shifted between pictures of Spider-Man and the Hulk. 
Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send pretty pictures of your plants to her at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. We bid a fond and grateful farewell to Teresa Radke, our peerless princess of profound production, who is moving on to new heights in the wonderful world of multimedia. Still mired in the depths is our audio editor, the lovely Jonas Bowen. Zach the Takwisneski and Ducky the Dancing Duck wish you the happiest of holidays, as does our beleaguered and beloved CEO, Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, anxiously awaiting the first thaw of spring when they'll move me close to a fire so I can see you again without gloves. <laughs>